0: broadcasting live from
1: the business radio x studios in atlanta georgia it's time for workplace wisdom sharing insight perspective and best practices for creating the planet's best workplaces now here's your host
0: Welcome to another exciting and informative edition of Workplace Wisdom. Stone Peyton here with you. You guys are in for a real treat this afternoon. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast CEO with MLA Companies, Mr. Seth Morgan. Good afternoon, sir.
1: Hey, Thanks for having me, Stone. Good afternoon to you and all your listeners. Thank you.
0: Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, man. I know we got a lot of stuff to to talk through before we go there, though. Could you give us a little bit of a primer overview mission and, and purpose of mLA companies? What, what are you guys out there trying to do for folks?
1: Well, that's a great question and one we spent a lot of time trying to answer. Um, we started in two thousand and six stone with really fractional CFO work as the center post of our of our business that quickly expanded into We do some merger and acquisition now, some back office bookkeeping support. We still are very involved in fractional CFO support, which really looks like a mix of uh, consulting and um, on-the-ground execution with our clients. Uh, Recently, we've started to expand in different disciplines outside of finance, so some organizational development and process improvement, et cetera. We believe business is a force for good in the world, and we believe it's best uh, led by people who view it. Through a stewardship lens, uh, we spend a lot of time on that, and we just really want to help those stewards um, be the best stewards they possibly can be. I know that sounds a little cliche, but we think because of that, it's uh, it's it's really an effort in creativity and innovation and uh, ingenuity that these stewards are bringing to the table on a daily basis. Whether they're leads of departments or owners of companies, uh, we have real passion for that at MLA. That's the that's the succinct answer.
0: Well, I tell you, it seems like an interesting dynamic to me because not only are you courting and and striving to serve the end user client, but you also find yourself, uh, I suspect, uh, working to recruit, develop, retain the practitioners themselves, at least with this fractional CFO work. Can you speak to that sort of uh, finding yourself in in, in two different environments and and having to, to serve both?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and one that we uh, spend time on. I, uh, so, as the CEO, you can imagine, you know, early on in, in my in my career running MLA, it looked like making sure that uh, diapers got changed and food got put on the table. And as the company's <laughs> grown, I've had to do what everybody does in business and and really look myself in the mirror and say, am I trying to build an enterprise here or am I just practicing a craft? And uh, I suspect some of your listeners are facing the same question. And uh, I made the decision. Uh, to to try to build an enterprise. So a board's been put in place. We're working very hard at getting MLA ready to go beyond me. And that means thinking very carefully about our clients, who are the best clients, how do we recruit them? And then exactly what you said, Stone, our people who are the best people and how do we recruit them? So, uh, so much of my time today is devoted to uh, working to promote our brand, uh, working obviously in business development. I still serve some clients from time to time, but absolutely then it's, yes, thinking about, uh, who are the folks that we have at the leadership level? Who are the folks that we have in the in the trenches? Uh, and how do we continue to keep that fresh and exciting, not only for our current team, uh, but for our recruiting activities, and then ultimately to serve our why, to serve our purpose, right? And how do we have the right people that will give the best advice to those stewards uh, leading these organizations for good uh, that we call businesses?
0: Now, have you found that this labor pool if that's the right word has changed or been impacted uh, to any great degree uh, with the advent of the of the pandemic coming on
1: oh i think it has stone and, and there's all kinds of theories on why that is and and so mine are no better than anybody else's or maybe the better way to say it is they're just as good as everybody else's <laughs> um you know we probably see it more um Dramatically playing out inside of our client base, where uh, hmm. you know almost every client to us, regardless of what industry they're in, are complaining about labor shortages. Um, it's not to say that we don't see our own challenge, but frankly, in our space, uh, good people were a challenge to find pre-pandemic. That's it's not new because of the pandemic, but there's a shortage. And I really think Stone, this is. I was doing an interview over the weekend. This is playing also off of. Um, the generational shift that we've we've been talking about for years as business leaders, and that is the move from boomer to X to millennial. And we're seeing that, you know, in many ways, I think stress and uncertainty um, really just drives to the surface the deep-seated issues or changes or or shifts that we sense. And I think the pandemic maybe just sped those up, made them more evident to us. So I think as businesses are grappling with this labor shortage, they're also gra- grappling with what's really a cultural shift underneath the surface um, of how employees and talent are thinking about what they need from their employer and vice versa. So I really think all the pandemic did is put a put a spotlight on it. Um, we could talk about public policy. We could talk about macroeconomic conditions. I think all of those things are playing a part in making this labor shortage feel more acute. But I really think it's simply it's, it's isolated and highlighted issues that were already there under the surface. It's really what the pandemic um, did to us and maybe even for us.
0: So the work itself that these practitioners are engaged in and the environment in which they find themselves, I got to believe that's changed, too. Yeah.
1: Uh, Absolutely. If you're referring specifically to our team. Um, Yeah. I mean, the, the what has not changed and what won't change is. You know, it's a pretty noble thing to lead a business, right? Uh, and I'm not yeah. talking about my role. That wasn't a self-gratifying or, <laughs> or, or promoting statement. But I think if you think about the risk takers of America um, that, that, that are evident in our history and they're evident, you know, in, in the living rooms that we're, we're talking to right now and in the, in the offices, um, it's, it's a pretty noble thing. At least it can be. And, and those nobles, if you will, that are taking that challenge on and putting capital to risk and putting reputation to risk, because it's so much more than capital, uh, putting putting their, their own energy into and, and, and trying to build something that so often uh, goes well beyond the generation they're thinking about that they're living in today. Um, those stewards are still asking the same questions, which is, the same basic questions we've seen, you know, thousands of books written on and, and the timeless questions, how do I serve my community? What's my value proposition? And by serve my community, I don't necessarily mean, you know, what's the social impact or social good, although that's obviously part of it. But so much of that social impact and social good is in the products or services we produce. It's not necessarily uh, the, the, the check that we write to the YMCA, although that might be a very wonderful thing, but it's it's the fabric that's being built by these, these stewards in business through their communities, through making for great team members and employees who are responsible citizens who are able to provide for their families and and do good in the in, in the in the in the in the passion and areas that they have, etc. This is a um, the beauty of business, as we all know, uh, is is it can be a tree that continues to reproduce, um, not just not just inside that business itself, but then in the families and living rooms that it that it's affecting. So, uh I, there's a way long-winded answer. Probably not what you're looking for. That those stewards, the, the questions are the same. Has the environment changed? Well, of course, um, uncertainty is high right now. I, I really don't care if the economy is doing well. I, I think if you talk to the average CEO, they are concerned and rightfully so. Um, the macro conditions are just unsettling. And while there might be great uh, short-term stories uh, of economic success. And even maybe so some of our clients are feeling that some are not as much, but some are feeling it, they're seeing it, their balance sheets are flushed with cash. There's still a level of uncertainty. Certainly, that cash, the, the labor shortage is hurting us, the supply chain concern is out there. That there's a lot that the stewards of businesses today are, are struggling with that absolutely has changed how our practitioners have to think about their flexibility, their empathy. Um, and even practicality, like some, obviously, things like, you know, social distances, distancing and, and, and businesses closing, uh, that obviously affected us as well. So all of those things we've just looked at, though, is just um, speed bumps along the road that, frankly, are not much different, not much more difficult than what our average business owner client is facing anyway. Uh, that just required us to be flexible and uh, quick on our feet as we continue to try to serve them as they serve their, their customers and vendors and, and employees.
0: I, I gotta ask, man. I got. I, I gotta ask about the Seth journey, the the backstory, and and maybe even some insight into when and how it 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 shaped this why of yours. And I love the steward frame, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your backstory, and, and if you if you might, how that has come to influence where you've landed on your why.
1: Yeah, that's thanks for asking, Stone. And I'm just gonna be really direct. You can hit the mute button if you want to. <laughs> So, you know, it's not a very sexy story. I, I, I won't, you know, I joke with people that um, MLA started because I was about to be fired. Um, I, mm-hmm. I uh, have a background professionally in public accounting and uh, started to feel that entrepreneurial itch as I started to work inside uh, mergers and acquisitions for that public accounting firm, realizing that the world was so much bigger than debits and credits and tax returns. And that really just fed my dissatisfaction, if you will, with that. There is nothing wrong with the public accounting industry. I'm not picking on it. I own a little public accounting firm uh, that (laughs) kind of serves as a sister. I'm not not picking on that. But for me, it wasn't quite enough. And so I had the opportunity to work for a a turnaround uh, from a very experienced, uh, well-capitalized entrepreneur that was uh, taking a company off the NASDAQ, taking them through a 363 restructuring bankruptcy and was looking for new talent. Two years into that, we weren't turning around, and I was probably going to be fired if I didn't raise my hand and say, this is my turn to go. So at the age of whatever I was, 26 or 27, I don't exactly recall, uh, partly because I just don't remember the timeline. Can, I can think that through. But it was 2006, MLA launched. Um, I was backed by that CEO, my boss. Um, uh, we put a little business plan together. He was a basically a passive investor, and we exited him in 2009. Um, It really probably wasn't until 2011 or 12. Uh, MLA was a nice company that had a small team and we just did our thing, but that I really had that, you know, if you want to call it come to Jesus moment where I looked in the mirror and said, what am I doing? Like, I'm giving these clients this advice about building companies and, you know, I was obviously growing in my career and in my, in my confidence. um, And, but I had to make that my own decision, which was, you know, I could probably make more money if I just went and found another job someplace um, or do I want to take take a shot at building a company that can actually scale and live beyond me? And that was the choice I made. Um, there's been an awful lot of hard knocks along that way, professionally, personally, in every way. Um, along the way, um, I reconnected with a pastor of a church that I had attended, and um, we really spent a lot of time building in some theological background, even mm. to that why question for us, um, which we now call our business consulting model, not trying to get all weird and cliche, but we call it the business redeem process. Um, We don't think there's anything really new there. We think it's an orderly way to observe created order is what we would call it and how people and organizations address challenges. And uh, we get a real kick out of getting in in the mess with our clients, um, rolling up our sleeves and not just giving good advice, but actually putting pressure against those questions doing some calculated risk-taking with them, and that doesn't necessarily mean them writing a check or even us writing a check. Um, what it means more is, is those, those calculated risk in business that we're all facing every day, where we put pressure on a team member, we put pressure on a department, we put pressure on the market in some way, and we watch the feedback, and we help our clients process that iterative learning that we're all doing, whether we recognize it or not. We happen to believe finance is the tool that got us here. We're going to stay, we're going to stick with that. We're excited about it. But there's plenty of tools that use that same iterative learning process to really steward well. And um, that's why we have eventually, just recently, have started to move into some other disciplines as well, opportunistically. Uh, But that's, again, I hope I'm getting back to the why, but. For me, it's really a merge of you know personal challenge, personal opportunity, um, uh, and and even and even a, a pretty strong, uh, not pretty, a very strong faith element in that, and kind of how we think about the world that that has led us to the place we're at today.
0: So, so I fall into this trap here in business. I'm I'm the number two guy in, in our business Radio X network, and I and I run a studio. I fall into this trap at home. <laughs> And that is, I'm 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 a little quick, a little too quick, I think, to start implementing a strategy before I have some of the foundation pieces in, in place. What counsel, if any, might you have to offer in general and with specific respect to your domain? Um, some ducks we should get in a, in a row before we start even trying to form a strategy.
1: Well, so, so you're probably, you know, if there's any great MBA, I have one, by the way, that's neither here nor there. If there's any great MBA out there, you know, consultant, they're probably going to call you up in a little bit and say, don't ever invite that idiot Seth back on. <laughs> um, I think if you're, I think if you're a, you know, a, a $3 billion business and you can go out and hire Deloitte and and McKinsey and spend time doing market research and, you know, building up this case for what you're, you know, every, you know, every possible outcome, um, you might be able to perfectly form, and I still don't actually believe that, but let's just, for the benefit of the doubt, to, to bless my brothers and sisters at Deloitte and McKinsey, you know, you might be able to get to the point where you're like, you know what, within, within a margin of error, we know exactly what the risk is to this, to this question that we're, that we're struggling with, where we have to decide when do we start to actually execute? Uh, I think the more realistic version for all of us, but I'll just lop off those that are able to hire the Deloittes and McKinsey's, Uh, and say the rest of the the peons in the world like us um, are are more likely going to need to spend some time thinking and planning and being thoughtful, uh, maybe praying about that decision, and then uh, seeking counsel from your board of advisors or your management team or just the people that you rely on. And then what we're going to do, and this is very much what our model is built around, is we're going to execute on some portion of that. And we're going to watch the response. And I know that sounds... Uh, again, maybe a little counterintuitive. Um, it might sound a little clunky. It doesn't normally happen in like a, there's step one, there's step two. It normally happens in a very uh, kind of organic way. But the reality is we're doing that all the time. We're, 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 I mean, let's take an example. We, we have a question with our kids. Uh, we are iterative learners. That's what we do. That, that's part of our creativity as people and our ingenuity as people. We are constantly processing the data of what just happened And how do we now respond to that? And I think that's a very useful tool in business as well. So I'm not going to argue, with going back to your question, with know your why, know your vision and mission, of course, know your values. Those are all extremely nice and important things to understand. It's not like we at MLA for ourselves don't spend significant time on those questions. But we believe they are best contextualized with actual data, If you and I started a business tomorrow, we could absolutely theorize till we were blue in the face about awesome grand plans and ideas, missions, values, visions. But the reality is it would be stone and sus starting a business with certain skills, certain weaknesses, certain fears, certain courageous moments. We would be, in essence, at that moment, the sum, if you will, of, of our own weaknesses, failures, and opportunities that existed. And so We believe very much in MLA of we've got to get those things understood. And sometimes the really only way to understand that is to actually put it into action and watch it. And I don't mean for three years. I'm talking about sometimes even the course of a meeting. I can't even tell you the number of times we have purposely walked into a meeting in kind of a controlled setting with with the steward of that client that we're serving, knowing this is about to happen, and we purposely instigate an argument with the intent of drawing to the surface the things that we suspect might be there so that we have better data to then actually go back and solve the problem that's been presented to us we find so often that's where our clients are stuck is they go off and talk to some consultant and they get told well you know clarify your vision or if someone else has a in the can process we very much believe in, in the mm-hmm. fact no it's those of you sitting around the table that have to make this decision you're going to be responsible for it you're the stewards of it we're not we're going to help you see what's actually underneath that surface to help clarify the question that's actually in front of you. So you can then get to the solution that probably you already know what it is. You just don't have the context to get to it. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, Stone, but that, that would be that would be how we have learned to process those those types of questions.
0: Well, you absolutely have asked the question. I'm so glad that I asked it. My interpretation of it in, in Stone speak is throw your hat over the fence, get the data in, make adjustments accordingly. <laughs> that's, that's what I took away from that. <laughs> But that's pretty accurate uh, <laughs> uh I,
1: I think i think it can always be made a little more complicated but but that's pretty accurate <laughs> well, you stand there staring at the fence the whole time wondering how you're going to jump over it you're you're never going to get there you know um, so
0: yeah amen well my listeners already already know this and you, and you'll quickly learn here that one of the great benefits and one of the things i thoroughly enjoy uh about doing all the shows and particularly this one is i, I get so much great counsel uh you know as as a product of a 15 20 minute conversation uh so thank you for that I really am glad I asked you've mentioned a couple of times uh board or board of advisors can you speak to that the value of it and maybe even some insight for uh you know small medium sized uh outfit like ours to go about um creating such a thing Yeah, I think it's a
1: real opportunity that carefully used can be of great service. I've seen clients of ours implement a board of advisors and, frankly, some not use them. And I can Mm -hmm. tell you that, so I'll start with the negative as a good finance person, right? The the downside to a board, if you don't spend the time trying to set it up correctly, um, and I'm going to get to what I mean by that in a moment, is it can simply become a nuisance. Um, There's a level of embarrassment Mm -hmm. if you're not ready for that board meeting, if you're constantly educating those board members on what it looks like to, to operate inside your industry, you're not going to get much value out of that. And what you're going to end up doing is just kind of wasting your time, probably wasting your money if you put some money behind it, uh, frustrating the board members, frustrating yourself. And it's just going to be a, another one of those things that kind of sucks life out of you as an entrepreneur. Um, again, not going to say we've got it right, but if you haven't already figured out, I'm a little bit of a contrarian, maybe even a rebel. And So <laughs> yeah. when we thought about our board of advisors, we tried to take a, a, a different approach. Now, part of that um, stone is because, and again, <laughs> we're, we're living by our own advice. We threw the hat, to use your phrase, over the fence and got started. We, we have changes to make. But we did spend a little bit of time tra- saying, what are we trying to accomplish here? And and one of the original goals, those goals have changed now a little bit, but one of the original goals that still is true was to, was to set in motion almost a, a organizational comfort with the idea that we had a board. An organizational comfort with the idea that the CEO is going to be accountable to a group of people. That was very intentional, and it was intentional for the purpose, Stone, of thinking about my future, thinking about MLA's future and saying, if our goal is to get to the point where we can uh, transfer value, and I don't mean just financial value, but beyond Seth Morgan, the founder, then we have to get to a point where there's a group of, of men and women who can take that governing responsibility and, and oversee it, because the intent is not likely for me to magically overnight go from majority owner to zero owner and somebody else's majority owner. No, it's probably because of the model we're in to start to share that wealth and ownership inside of a, a bunch of minority owners with a CEO being selected, perhaps among them, perhaps from the outside, and then some board required to oversee and, and give uh, give you know oversight and governance to that. Now, not every business model works like that. So some of the things that I would say are probably um, that that might be good counsel and thoughts for your listeners, for those that are in the professional service world or where you're thinking about maybe distributing equity over time to your team. But then some of the things that I would say that just have been practically useful to us, we purposely, this is another one of those um, rebel moments for me. Um, We have purposely selected a board that um, is now has team input. I'll be honest with you, Stone. We don't get near as much participation from the team as I'd like for us to. Probably an opportunity for us to go back and rethink, pick the hat up off the ground and think about a different way to throw it back on the fence again. But uh, it's an opportunity for us to allow the team to have some input into the board. So there's a nominating process for them. That's very unusual from what I can see in in the private market. We have purposely allowed certain internal individuals to be on that board so that they bring to the table that specific experience set. Now, there's a lack of perspective in that in some degree, right? Because they're not outsiders. But we purposely have designed something where we have some outsiders, we have some insiders. And then Bluntly Stone, When I, especially when I was setting up the first board and, and working through that alongside of someone that I trust deeply that works inside our business regularly, I spent some time making sure that there were people on that board that could hold me personally accountable. I'm not just talking about, you know, did you hit your your business marks? I'm talking about people, for instance, someone that knew me intimately, knew my marriage intimately, knew, knew, frankly, he was my pastor at the time, um, someone that was already walking alongside of me because I wanted the opportunity in those board meetings for us to go wherever we needed to go. And for me to be able to look at other people in the room and say, is that true about me? and not get some bullcrap answer that they thought I wanted to hear or worse, because this is so hard for business leaders who are already kind of lonely, right? Worse, they get some negative answer that isn't really contextually correct or isn't correct. That can be just as damaging. You know, we often think of it as yes men and yes women, or we don't want those around us. But the reality is, You get somebody that's just a contrarian, that's just blowing up the room because it makes them look good. That's almost, that's worse, right? So people that I trusted that I could look at and say, is that really true? Like help me work through that problem. Now, as our organization grows, I'm sure our board will continue to mature. Our intent is to move that advisory board into a governing board eventually. That would not probably be wise for many of the listeners that you have. But because of those early steps, when we meet as as a group and I have a board meeting actually this week, um, I'm not going to say I get one-to-one value out of the time put in on specific advice that they give me, but I do get a lot of value out of that board. And truthfully Stone, we've even started to use it inside the organization. There's a little bit of a buffer for me. Hmm. So it does bring an extra set of power. When my number two announces to the team, these are changes we've made. We have vetted them with the board. This is what the board has asked Seth to do. And this is what Seth is doing. Um, there's some value in that as well. So, those would be my, I don't know if that was three or ten pieces of advice, but um, it takes work. It, it does take work. It, it don't do it just for the sake of say I have a board. That is a <laughs> complete waste of time.
0: So tell us a little bit about the MLA methodology or process. I guess maybe walk us through the high points of what an engagement might look like, especially maybe the early pieces.
1: Yeah, so I, I guess I'll give you kind of the, the nirvana for us, but I'll, I'll I'll briefly answer reality first, and that is, and just propose. You know, I was just editing a, a proposal from one of our team on an M and A process that's going to look very much like a typical M and A process. We 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 pride ourselves in stepping in with our client wherever they're uh, not to sound touchy feely, but their felt need is. So we've got clients that start with us on succession process improvement on the floor. Uh, some organizational problem more often than not. It's obviously a financial issue. It's they need fractional CFO or accounting back office support. I think if you were to say, Seth, but talk to me about purely applying your model, we have seven steps to what we call the business redeem process. And we believe, again, institutionally, organizations are doing this, whether they realize they're doing it or not. We just think there's value in identifying them. And having for our team, at least, I mean, in many ways, that, that model is more about our team understanding where are we are in this process than it is telling our client, you need to think about it this way. Because fundamentally, we want the client to be transforming and changing and improving in a good way, um, regardless of exactly how they understand how they got there. So, so many of our clients, are just like most small business people, are so focused on the daily matters of running a business. know they may or may not want to read another book about it and we don't think we're necessarily (laughs) smarter than any of the other any of the other books but in kind of a in a vacuum if you will if you could like pause time which none of us can do and say this is how we would think about it we would say there's there's these seven steps and for us it would be reality and what is the current situation that pat it's kind of that's kind of a historical look right so obviously as finance people that we, there's all kinds of history, right? Most accounts are accused hmm. of, of running a car from the rearview mirror, right? right. So it's, it, that, it's that historical lesson. What do we have today? It's perspective around that. So what perspective does MLA bring to that, that conversation? Sometimes that's not just MLA, but once you start to get that data, perspective starts to flow, right? Sometimes there's just simple, easy, low-hanging fruit things that we can immediately move on that it's coming out of that historical look. Once we start to transfer into the future, we think about it in terms of what we call runway. So what can we define? How big of a plane can you get off the runway you have? That runway may be confined. It's really a constraint question by cash. It could also be people, talent. It could be just plant capacity, et cetera. Yeah. Then, and kind of only then are we going to say, okay, what dream got us here? And how does that dream need to be affected and changed? We believe most consultants make the mistake of starting with dream. You know, Stone, what do you want to do? Well, I want to uh, you know, solve world hunger. Who is not going to get behind that? But the reality is we have a reality question, a perspective question, and a runway question for Stone to answer before he can really contextualize that dream. So, what is it about that? You know, what do we know about the dream now in the context of reality, perspective, and runway? Then we think about what we call the map that's really strategic planning. We also think then there's a point, and this is where we believe the past meets the future. Because we would say runway, dream, and strategic planning are obviously all future exercises where the past meets the future is when you stone decide is that business leader to execute. It's where we come full circle and we come back to, okay, now we have something to do. So the question is now, now you've got those done. And again, we're talking robotic because this is happening in a much more organic, natural, quick way. Sometimes it's a long process. Sometimes it happens over the course of a two hour meeting. Now we're hitting the button and we're pulling the trigger on some decision set in a, in a great world. We then pause, we move back into past tense, and we see how that, what's the reflection of that? What's the reward? What's the time? Like, what did we learn through that process? And guess what? We start the process entirely all over again. What did that do to our reality? What's our new perspective? What's our new runway if there is one? We Re- recalculate that inside of the dream we're trying to accomplish. What's the next decision we're making? We think organizations, it's not like MLA has said, look, this is the way. No, we think every organization is doing this in some capacity already. We're doing it with our families. We're doing it with our spouses. We're doing it with our kids. We're doing it with our businesses. We think there's just value in saying, frankly, again, more for our team than anything, for us to teach our team, this is what your client is going through. Sometimes there's great value in us in giving that to the client and saying, this is how you're experiencing this. Pretty much every case, they said, oh my goodness, that's relieving. We can see it. But we try very carefully not to like lay that on them and say, you must now go through this stuff because that's not the speed of business. Um, so, Again, I hope I answered your question. I feel like I may be taking the longer path with all these. I I hope that's okay. But uh, that that would be our nirvana engagement is where we have a client systematically working through that and seeing it. And uh, we we try to do that as best we can, whether they're fighting a huge fire or or have the time to work through a more organized process uh, as they go.
0: Well, it's more than okay. Uh, I personally and and so many of our listeners love to go back and listen again and, of course, review the transcript. So, no, I sincerely appreciate the the depth and and the breadth of, of response. How does the whole sales and marketing thing work for a firm like yours? Are you at a point where the phone rings or do you still have to have some sort of structured approach to going out there and developing new client relationships?
1: That's a great question, Stone. And I should just stop and let you give me advice. Here's, you've got a great sales background. <laughs> um, you know, we don't have that solved quite yet. The phone is ringing, um, you know, more and more. And obviously, we're excited about that. That's um, good news for us. Um, that, you know, I think that's a credit to our team. It's a credit to the reputation we've built in the markets we're most active in. Um But it's not good enough for me. Um, You know, most of our client uh, biz dev opportunities come through referral sources. Um, That's not going to change. We're in a very highly personally relational business, meaning, you know, Stone, if you came to me today and said, I want to hire MLA, um, you would not only question MLA as a brand, but you would probably even more so question who's the team assigned to me, right? Right. Because you would want, and I want that as the owner of MLA. I would want Stone personally connected with the individuals that were working on your account. And so that that's tough, right? So we we, we struggled with that for years. We've gotten to a point where we're confident enough in our brand and our why and our mission and, and how we do life that we're now more proactively spending money on brand development with the intent of giving our people on the ground uh, more ammunition to talk about in the market. But the reality stone is most most of our team are finance. Most finance people don't like to sell.
0: Mm. So
1: generally speaking, their phone is ringing too. And so we're trying to empower them with confidence that they've got something to talk about. Um, we've done we spent a lot of time on collaboration so that a CFO that's really good at you know, what we might call fp financial planning and analysis, doesn't have to be an expert in M&A. You know, so we spent that time on collaboration so that they're more and more comfortable to pick up the phone and call the M and A expert in our firm and say, "Can we have a joint launch?" Whatever. So I realize this is, again, long answer, but there there was no one short answer to this. Um, we we are working, but have not quite cracked it to uh, to, our, to our ability to say, um, you know, we're going to roll into a new market, we're going to turn on a machine, and we're going to expect to see X number of results from that. Um, we're just not there yet. I'm not entirely certain if we'll ever get there because. You know, we we have a we again, we have a model that is just so personally involved with our clients that I think we can tell a story that is attractive. That's been proven uh, enough. So, again, that we're spending money on it, that the market will respond to But we can't accurately predict when that business owner is going to get to a point where they're kind of at their end of the rope and they need a help in hand and they pick up the phone and call. And that not every client for us looks like that. They're not all problem sets. But, but sometimes it's that, sometimes it's the ready to make a decision on a, a, a CFO, they've grown to the size they needed or they don't like who they have, or you know, their bank is telling them they need some extra help, whatever. But in so many ways, that's a market education question for us, not because you know, frankly, we're not, we're not a CPA firm. I own one on the side, but that's not what we're talking about right here. So it's not like every business has to have our services. Um, so it's about market education, how the value we bring to the market, there's not many firms like us out there. So we're, we're fighting all those battles. But I'm going to say, and I'm not saying this to sound good because I'm the other guy. Like, it's a blast doing it. Like, it's fun to be in a kind of a market that we get to define. But there's a downside to that, too, which is we're in this constant market education mode and personal development, you know, relationship development mode. So we think we've identified the tools to get us to that point. Um, but it's still not a perfect science for us by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Well, it certainly sounds to me like you've got a pretty good handle on it. And in terms of not completely cracking the code, uh, welcome to the club. I will tell you, <laughs> if you want to build relationships and get to know some really smart people, get yourself a radio show.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. You know, the funny thing is I used to do one of these in politics back in the oh, day. Wow. I haven't in a long time, but uh, I enjoyed sitting there with the headsets and hitting buttons. I don't I don't know if that's still, still how it works. I'm probably dating myself. But, uh, uh yeah, uh, good for you, Stone. Congratulations. I, I, I'm sure you're right about that. <laughs> uh,
0: so this is kind of tactical, but, you know, hey, it's my show. <laughs> what, right. uh, what, uh What insight might you have, if any, on working with, finding, and, and I guess retaining, just uh, managing uh, top talent, um, you know, maybe uh, contrasted to, you know, the also-rans and the and, and the folks that are, you know, doing good work, but maybe you wouldn't characterize as, uh, as top town, anything we ought to be doing differently or make sure we do or don't do in that regard. Uh well, you know, we have a,
1: a model stone that allows us a lot of flexibility. It's one of our kind of core attributes as a firm that we don't want to change. Partly that's because it's reflects its owner, right? I, 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 pride my flexibility perhaps more than anything. Um, so one of the keys for us has been to apply that then to our recruiting to that top talent. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a perfect uh, application for your listeners, but what seems to always come back, so even if you'd ask the question, so what are, what are some of your clients doing? What did you do through the pandemic? You know, what, what advice would you have on retention? I think it's kind of similar to the answer on top talent, and that is really understanding what, what do they desire and need? So, you know, we spend a lot of time as a company Thinking about our value, our core competencies, our value sets. What what are the traits that are going to set us apart, or just we're going to hold ourselves accountable to? Um, and we have to recognize that individuals have that same that same question and answer. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, individuals have not thought through it well enough to actually answer it, but they do have an answer. And and your job as a as a as, as someone who is supposed to be caring, especially about probably about anybody but certainly about that top talent candidate you're after, is to try to extract from them what are those core values that they care about as well? And then can you craft something to accomplish that? Partially, probably because we're a financial firm and we think like this, you know, I tend to think, I try to break things down. So, you know, frankly, we're not big enough to to hire or to have on full-time W-2 staff all the top talent that we have have um, yeah. so instead we find the top talent that is I'm thinking of one gentleman right now who's very active in overseas missions who is active in you know his own discipline of sports uh, competition he's a triathlete mm-hmm. um, so those things take up amount, a lot of time he has aging parents he's made a lot of money in his life I don't know the specifics of that but it's, it's pretty clear um, but he wants a place to, to market his talent through right so we're not going to him and saying, here's the box, fit in it. We're instead saying, how do we how do we take that set, that inventory, if you will, and the things you clearly value because of how you're choosing to steward your life and put them side by side with us, and now what value can be created between us? So the, some of the best talent we have in house uh, is, or under our umbrella, is where we've taken that very direct approach. Uh, you know, Stone, the younger talent that comes to us that we're trying to develop, it looks very much more traditional. It's salary, you know, mm-hmm. hours being tracked because we're obviously trying to mold and craft them into something because they don't have those questions defined or even answered for themselves. But some of our very top talent hats. And so I view it as our job to learn to be flexible with them as well. The other thing quickly I would say is we're always recruiting and your your listeners should be too. Like people come to me and say, well, I don't know if you're looking for it. And I'm like, well, you know, obviously there, there's there's the clear capacity question for me, right? Do I have enough capacity to, to meet the demand I either perceive or know about in the market, whether that's whether that's coming or already in-house demand? But the, the reality is I'm always on the prowl for somebody good. And if I find that person, I'm probably going to do what all good entrepreneurs do. And I'm going to figure out a way if they're interested to take risk and get them on the team. Now, partly, if you think about it, our product, and I hate to talk about our team this way, but that is our product. It's our team, mm-hmm. right? So that may not be exactly the same for all your listeners. But if you want to think about top talent, you should never stop recruiting. Um, the most effective thing you can do is bring in that rock star who's truly a rock star. While we're all scared of that is how many of us have gotten burned by not being appropriately flexible, not thinking it through carefully enough, not, I, I skip a sound cliche, checking the references. And I don't just mean picking up the phone and calling through. I mean, like working through a product. You know, if that... If that top talent is in too big of a hurry, they're probably not the right talent for you, right? But where that time is taken, relationships are built. You understand their why, and you match it up with your why. My guess is you're going to figure out how to get them in. And when you get them in, that's going to be a good match. And that relationship is simply going to grow. Um, You know, the, the gentleman who's had the most effect internally on us, this former pastor I talked about who helped us flush out with some of the theology behind it, it started over a cup of coffee, where he wanted to test some theories on me that he had about macro cultural effects. And I, something triggered at me. And I looked at him and said, I think there's an opportunity to do this inside businesses. Let's keep talking about this. Well, what we ended up doing was matching our wise. And he's been with us now for, I don't know, five, six years. He chairs a board of advisors. He's instrumental on in our clients. He's instrumental on my management team. He is a wonderful asset to our organization. And yet there's still a piece of him that he holds outside of MLA because it doesn't directly relate to business that goes back to some of those theological roots. And we are more than happy to give him the freedom to do that um, because of the effect he's not only having on our clients, but on MLA itself.
0: That counsel alone is more than worth the time and energy for me invested in this conversation. We're probably going to cut that clip out. And just and share it, stand alone. I'm, I'm so glad that I asked. Uh, like so many entrepreneurs, people who have, have built something like you have from the ground up, I, I'm sure that um, occasionally you might run out of steam and, and, and need to recharge. And I suspect, because uh, you've mentioned it more than a couple of times, your, your faith, I'm sure that's part of the answer. But where do you go for for inspiration, refreshment, uh recharging is it reading is it yeah where do you go for that yeah that's a great question And i you
1: know kind of like the the story of the start of the business i wish i had something like you know i was a mountaintop experience and a vision from on high and mla was birthed that i don't have a good answer on that one either that's like exciting like i you know um i've tried a bunch of different models you know not models but things and, and truthfully you know i always fall back to the same spot um people don't believe me, uh, but I'm an introvert by nature and, and I don't get energy out of constant people interaction. Um, so the the best time for me is a quiet date with my wife, um or just some quiet time at the house with the kids, or even <laughs> just a long nap on a day where I should otherwise be working. Um so I, I hate I hate stone that it's not something more like dramatic than that, but that's that's the truth. When when I'm really up against the wall, those that know me best would say I'm a pretty determined guy, and I think that's true. Um, but you know, so the question I might rephrase it a little, although it's your question in your show, and that is, you know, what what keeps you going when you don't want to keep going, right? Yeah, so some yeah. of that is yes, how do I rest and reflect? But it really does come back to that stewardship question. Uh, when I hit the wall, most often I have to remind myself that I'm not the only question mark in that frustration story in that moment, right? When I'm yeah. feeling that urge, that there's a team of roughly 35 people that that call themselves part of MLA, that deserve a CEO to get off his lazy you-know-what, and I'm not calling myself lazy, and get back in the game, that there's, frankly, to make it personal, there's a wife and children that 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 need that same thing and, and i i shouldn't have it's not just i don't have like woe is me i shouldn't have the luxury I, I don't even think it'd really be a luxury don't have the right to take myself out of the game like that because i'm just so worn down and beat up so now all that said sometimes i find the most rewarding thing i can do is take a break right and so mm-hmm. but for me that, it, that really does simply look like reconnecting with the people i deeply love Um, I would, people sometimes think I'm a reader. I'm not, I'm not going to do some, um, but I have found that yes, reconnecting with my faith. And I don't mean like some, again, mountaintop experience, I'll give Gary credit again. Uh, sometimes simply reminding myself of what I believe about God, reminding myself. And that sometimes that comes as reading the Bible or reflecting on or listening to a a worship music or, or, or even a sermon, a, a speech or but where I'm reconnecting, and I learned this from Gary, too, with what are the what are the foundational things that you really believe? But what that often does is it reopens energy and creativity for me to re-engage in that stewardship mandate I have for my team, for my clients, for my family. And, and so it re-energizes that determination that, for all of us, gets sucked dry sometimes. Um, you know, but if you really said, well, what do you do for fun? For me, it'd be head to the mountains for a couple of days with people I love be able to shut the phone off and do stupid stuff while I'm able to lay by the, the, you know, the fire or the pool kind of all at the same time, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, uh, so I, you know, that's the best answer I can get.
0: Well, I think it's well said. All right. If our listeners would like to reach out and have a conversation or learn more with, um, you or someone on your team, uh, let's leave them with some coordinates, whatever you think is appropriate, whether it's a LinkedIn or a website or an email, uh, but let's give them a way to connect with you guys.
1: Of course, yeah. So the best and easiest way is just simply to go to our website, mlacompanies.com. That's, uh, you know, MLA, just like it sounds, companies is plural.com. You know, it's a typical marketing brochure online, of course, um, but if you're just looking to get in touch, uh, click on the about uh, the, uh, let's see, it's MLA team. I'm looking at it now you click on the MLA team tag. And, you know, my name comes up right at the top. There are other principals and staff members on the team that are listed. It's not the entirety of our team, but they're there. You know, I, I'd be honored to, to get a note and I'll either direct it correctly or to respond directly myself. So we um, be, would, would be happy to, our phone numbers, email, LinkedIn emails are all there. So, so uh, that would be the best way and most efficient way for your listeners to connect. And we hope they do.
0: Well, Seth, it has been an absolute delight having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your your insight and your perspective, man.
1: Yeah, it's it's great to be with you, Stone. And I gotta just tell you, you know, I my folks are from Kentucky, even though I live in Ohio, and I, I love I love the Georgia voice that you have. <laughs> and uh, being an SEC fan, because my cats aren't going to make it, I'll just say go Dawgs. So <laughs> you, you keep it up.
0: <laughs> All right. This is Stone Payton for our guest today, Seth Morgan, CEO of MLA Companies and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Workplace Wisdom.